Welcome to The Village Lantern, a podcast for families living with hidden challenges such as autism and other neurodiverse conditions, and for anyone else wanting to understand, love and support. Our mission is to build understanding, empathy and love for families living with one or more children who have hidden conditions that make life harder in one way or another. We call this Extra Zing. I've met a few families over the years who've got the suspicions about their child being autistic and have said, I don't want to push for a diagnosis because I don't want them to be labelled and I don't want that to follow them around. And I said, but my belief is that is your child. That is your child. It's not a label, it's who they are. They are autistic. Hey, Shah and Belle, good to see you again. How are you? Good, thanks. Good, thanks. Thanks for having us back. Oh, how do you, how are, you, are you happy to be back? Happy to be back, yes. yes. Yeah. How Very did you, happy. what did you, I know we were hoping that people might tell us what they thought about our first conversation. Have you heard any feedback? Yeah, it's been um, really positive. I think, I think, um, I don't know about Belle, but I think we were both a bit nervous about, you know, you're putting yourself out there and, you know, talking about your life and often you've kept quite a lot of it quiet and secret and it shouldn't be you know and I think Mm. um there's that element of nerves but I've had so many people just get in touch saying this is really going to help a lot of families and that's kind of why we're doing it isn't it so I mean that just gave me a big relief I think um yeah and I think it's just nice to have people get in touch and say oh can you talk about this oh oh my god are you going to make can we mention that Uh, yeah and I think that's what we want we want people to get involved and you know start bringing out stories that we've all been desperate to hear on podcasts and, you know, the alternative family life that isn't being discussed on main platforms. Yeah. Anne and I had a similar experience. It did feel like the podcast sort of outed us a lot more than than maybe I had expected, but um, I kind of loved that because it meant that more people in my broader community, I suppose, were aware of all of our lives and and what it's like living with neurodiverse children. Because it does sort of get to the point where you kind of only share the details with the other people in your community, doesn't it? And so there's a point where your other friends are like, I had no, I didn't, what do you, hang on, I didn't know. I've never heard that before. And we, that's not intentional. But it is a bit of self-protection though, isn't it? Because And I I think with some older friends who might have known your children for a long time, you may have never been really explicit with them about a diagnosis or what those challenges are if you're not seeing them all the time. So that was, I think that was really great. I felt kind of proud to actually be more explicit about it and to say, hey, listen to this if you really want to understand more about neurodiversity and our family and, you know, our community. I think it's great. I have, even my siblings and parents, you know, listened yep. and, and learnt a yeah. lot. So, amazing, yeah. amazing. So in this episode we talk about diagnosis and because I think what you just said, Belle, um, not everyone knows the ins and outs of the whole thing and I think we feel like for listeners talking about this is probably something that's very, very much of a shared experience. Absolutely the way we respond to it is different but... The shock, the unknown, the the response, how we respond is different for all of us, but it's a very real thing we all share. And so in this episode, you'll hear us sharing some of our own experiences and then, you know, hopefully talking about some things. We, we want to try and keep things pretty positive, but real. And so um, 
given we're all a little bit further down the path, if there's anything that we can share that helps people who are either at the beginning of that journey or they're still kind of working through it in different ways that hopefully that's of value. So we hope you love it. <laughs> hey, guys. Welcome back to our second conversation together. So excited. I've had lots of really encouraging feedback from people about bringing you guys in, adding you to the mix with our conversations with Jordan and mixing that up. That's good. I'm glad we didn't get fired after one go. Yeah. <laughs> Vaginas of steel. Exactly. Yeah. No, how could how We'll could get that? some T-shirts printed. Hashtag. Oh, we should. Yes. Yeah. And so today I'm excited that we are going to talk about diagnosis um, of our kids, the discovery that our child has got a set of symptoms that exist in a book somewhere <laughs> that tell medical people something. Um, I think there's so much complexity to this. And I, I don't, of course, I, while I like to think that I have a medical degree from Google, which my GP very, very generously allows me to bring my synopsis of situations whenever I come into her. Also, our paediatrician very generously listened to me coming up with my own assessments. But I'm going to go out on a limb and suggest that getting diagnosed with, for example, diabetes is probably not the same like complexity of getting diagnosed with a neurodiverse condition only because maybe people with diabetes display the same symptoms and maybe because the same medication can be used to treat those symptoms. Again, I don't know, but I'm guessing, and I guess what I'm trying to convey is that with these type of diagnoses, it's not always the same symptoms. There's groupings and that's how they can make it, but they're not always the same. They don't play out the same. Medication does not result in the same, nor does therapy. There's no kind of X plus Y equals B, clear solution, and therefore it's just a lot and worth talking about, sharing our experiences and hopefully finding some kind of shared, I don't know, feelings, emotions, well, yeah, and information. People. Information, yeah. I think that's... A lot of people who are pre-diagnosis stage are in a point where they're kind of at their wits end with either their children displaying behaviour that they don't know what to do with and they don't really know where to go and they don't understand what the process is and they can't get into a psychologist and, yeah. And some people have awareness that a diagnosis could be a possibility, but some people don't. Some people are just like, I don't know why my kid's doing this. Full stop. Mm. I didn't. I, in, I didn't uh, have, yeah. I got a shock. I think I did too. Yeah. Yeah. Me too, yeah. 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 I mean, I think it's it's um, interesting because when you're, I mean, my nine-year-old was diagnosed at three or four, which is pretty young, and, um, you know, I had suspicions, but no one had ever mentioned the word autism. Yeah. So even when he was under assessment, they never mentioned what it was they were assessing him for. Did they, was it possible that they could have come out with different outcomes or were they only doing an assessment of autism? Well, I just don't know because mm. he, I'd flagged to the health visitor, this is in England, you know, we have probably got a slightly different system to you, but I'd flagged to the health visitor that he was displaying some interesting behaviours which I thought were really kind of quirky and eccentric. Like what? What were they? So he was doing things like, so if we go for a walk, he would say the same phrases at the same point mm. on the walk mm -hmm. every time. 
He had a repetitive yeah. behaviour. He was doing, repeating the book that I'd read him the night before, word for word, whilst running up and down the living room, backwards and forwards. Mm. Um, and he was always mimicking voices. So for quite a lot of his childhood, he had the kind of Hungarian nanny's voice. <laughs> Give us a go- give us an example. Like, oh my god! <laughs> but it would be like you know Sunday morning I'd wake up and he'd be in bed with me. It's like I'm in in bed with a 36 year old woman from you know Budapest. <laughs> <laughs> so I flagged these things and and the health minister said, look, you know he's either, lots of kids are eccentric and display the behaviours that are unique and they might just grow out of them. But we'll just keep an eye on things and we'll put you through the system to get some assessments and stuff. And she told me to Google a few things and Asperger's came up. And I was like, oh, because I thought autism was like kind of no talking on mm. verbal. Mm. Or Rain Man. Rain Man. Yeah. You know, you just don't, I didn't really know. And I was, I was like, Asperger's, what's that? A bit weird. And oh, um, you hadn't heard of Asperger's? No. Really? At that point. And I thought, well, this sounds like him because it's, you know, he's very much, um, you know, kind of, quite intense and um, never seems really to smart. stop. Super smart into one subject and, you know, a lot of learning on one thing. He was he was also holding his toys really close to his eye and, you know, doing everything at eye level. And But we also never seemed to ever be able to play together. Like he never wanted me to, he wanted me to be an audience member of his games but not play with him. And I thought that was quite, you know, I could see all my friends playing with their kids and I said, oh, I don't think I've ever played with him. we just sit side by side and he would instruct me on what to do. do you, so, but you noticed that at the time. I did, but he was my first child. That's so I was what like, I mean. You know, okay, this is, I just thought he's super cool. What a cool kid I've got. I'm yes. so lucky. Yeah. And then they're like talking about assessments and I said, well, why? Because he's, I'm just so lucky I've got this Aww, really cool kid. Yes. And I'm. Are you assessing him for like you're assessing his him. corners? Honestly, it was like. Oh, when we go to school, when he goes to school, he's probably going to have to go up a few years. Yeah. He's so clever. Yeah, yeah. Everyone who meets him is like, "Wow, he's yes. only two. I mean, yes. he he chats like a forty-five-year-old man. Yep. You know, really, or a woman from Budapest. Or a woman from Budapest. <laughs> but they uh, didn't. They tell never you mentioned that it was the word a bad, like behavioural or no. neurodiversity. And, and even like, so it was so strange. And we went along. I went along, and in fact, I was like. You know, it takes ages to get these appointments. I went to the appointment after six months, and in that time, you know, his nursery had said, mm, you know, he's squeezing our faces quite a lot, and he's bashing a kind of cart in the garden over and over again, and that was all he would want to do, and he wouldn't really join in with the group. And um, by the time the appointment came around, he sort of had settled in more at nursery, and and I just got used to his behaviours, I guess. And I almost wanted to apologise and say, look, I know it's really, you know, it's so hard to get these appointments. I'm so sorry we're wasting your time. Yeah, everything's fine. You know, and yeah. he was doing all this assessment where they were, like, doing things, and like, you know, he had to play with a merry-go-round. And I was like, look, he's acing these tests. Oh, my God, I'm I had so exactly sorry. the same experience. Yeah, yeah, I'm like, I'm so sorry about yeah. wasting your time. Yeah. And literally within seconds of finishing the assessment, they sat down and said, so your son has... Uh, is definitely autistic oh. and he's been masking for years and oh. is clearly incredibly anxious oh. for doing that. And I felt like kind of the kind of my world dropped out of yeah. my stomach. Yeah. And I was, even though in the back of my mind I thought he was autistic, I just thought they were going to go, no, sorry, it's, you yeah. know, it's totally, don't worry, don't worry. And um, that was that. And I was like, what? I mean, I hadn't even taken... Sunny, my husband, with me to that appointment because I thought, you know, it will be in and out and, you know, and they said, yep, he's 
100% definitely autistic and he's been masking for many years like that's why he's sort of able he's being able to mask really well he can adapt into any situation and mask and I thought god the poor kid yes the poor kid has he's you know by this point he was four three or four I was like how can a three or four year old be so anxious and masking in 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 different environments you know awful why he can't be himself so who is this child who is he you know that's Mm. yeah I I can't believe they didn't actually prepare you a little bit more no I mean I'd say that now if anyone who's working in the kind of you know assessment industry whatever you call it uh, psychologists psychologists (laughs) speech pathologists doctors (laughs) what's the catch-all for that um you know don't hide what it is you suspect because we got really paranoid. Like we, between Sonny and I, we were both sitting there going, are we going mad? Like, do, do they think he's autistic? He, he's not autistic, is he? And then we're like, we'd, we'd look at each other and go, I go, I think he's, he, I think he's autistic. And he'd go, no, he's not, no, he's not. But you don't know. How would you know? I don't right? know. How would we know? I'm not and an expert. I know. Yeah. And I was the same. I do wonder about whether they sort of tell you what they suspect or not because I feel like that could go two ways because if they tell you, then you worry before mm. you need to. Don't you think, though, Anne, in Australia, um, if you're going through the assessment, like in my experience, it's like we're going to go through the assessment for autism or ADHD, Mm. you pretty much have it. Like from a psychologist or a patient going through that process, it's very rare that my kids I've heard people say they haven't. Really? I've never had anyone go through that and hasn't just because if you've had therapy for several years prior to that assessment, Mm. the person who's recommended you do the assessment. I've heard people, they went in to get assessed and they didn't come out with it. Well, it's interesting because my um, diagnosis for my eldest child was very different to that because I we had been going to various assessors, psychologists, <laughs> therapists since they were three and a paediatrician actually from six months and I would go and I'd say, there's something wrong. Mm. <laughs> and they would be like, no, there's not. Did you, is kid. that because crying, crying uh, unsettled? Yeah, I remember. Yeah, Screaming all the time and really anxious. Charismatic though. So yes. So... At six six months old, I remember going into the paediatrician and I was like at my wits end, like I don't sleep, they're screaming all the time. The paediatrician does all the testing, like medical testing, and there's my kid going, oh, you're making all these gorgeous Mm. noises and engage and Mm. eye contact and all this Mm. sort of thing, and they're like, it's a beautiful kid. You're such a healthy child. Yes. You just need a bit of colic. Yeah, or Mm. mum's a bit stressed. Yeah, yeah. Actually, he was quite amazing because he was like, you need to get this kid to sleep because the behaviours are worse oh, because yeah, of, of the sleep. So that was helpful to know that. Though you couldn't actually do it. Like you knew yeah. what you had to do. Okay, yeah. great. That's helpful. But how, how do I do that? How? Yeah. And then it was just a series of different psychologists and therapy um, of people saying, yeah, you know, I understand why you're here, but I'm not necessarily seeing particular things. They but they don't, they need to come to the school, come and live at my house. Mm. That's the difference, isn't it? Like I yeah. think that's where uh, most of that, in your most natural state or in the state where you are not in a weird room with someone weird looking at you, mm. that's when you need them to be looking. Yeah, yeah. I think that would be more helpful. Yeah. But by the time we found Fiona, who is um, my eldest psychologist, who is a specialist in autism and neurodiversity, I mean, I didn't necessarily think that the 14-year-old who was 
back then, sort of eight and nine, was necessarily autistic. But but you thought ADHD first, didn't we you? Got, yeah, yeah, yeah. They got diagnosed with ADHD first, um, but Fiona was like, "There's more coming." Now, don't we always say that now? Yeah. We're like, "Oh, everyone starts with ADHD." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so that's why we didn't, you know. And of course, the fourteen-year-old always says, "Mum never told me I had ADHD." But that was only because Fiona was very clear because they were a specialist in neurodiversity that that wasn't the primary right. issue. It was like, yes, your child has ADHD, but they also have perfectionism and anxiety. So let's tackle those two things and let's see where it goes. And then she basically said, then she basically said to um, Scott and I, oh, I think that it's time to do the assessment, but let's just wait until your child show some interest in it because there's no rush. We're doing the, th- the therapy that they need. Yes. You've got all the support that you need at the moment and do you want the diagnosis or not? And we were like, let's just see how we go. And then I remember we watched this BBC documentary called Are You Autistic? And I said to Scott, get the other two out of the room. I want to watch this and let's see what happens. So the two of us sat there and we watched it and... <laughs> They just looked at me, I think, what, they were 11 at the time. They looked at me and they were like, Mum, am I autistic? Mm. Like, these are my people. Mm-hmm. They didn't say these are my people. And I said, look, I don't know. We haven't done the assessment. Do you want to do it? Absolutely, I want to do it. I want to do it properly. Oh, I want to mm. nail it. I want to do it properly. I want the DSM-5. <laughs> yeah, it was like I want yeah. the diagnosis criteria. Yeah. I want to read it. I want Amazing. to understand it. I Amazing. want to know everything. And so then when I when my child contacted their psychologist, wrote an email and said, I've just watched this documentary. I feel like a lot of this is me. I want to go through the process. How quickly can I do it? And um, and we went from there and I was really relieved. The diagnosis was, I've been, I feel like I've been waiting for that for 11 years. Because at that age, I, I, think, I feel like you must be at that age yeah. relieved. And, and when I could label it. Yeah. I was like, this has been hard. Yeah, girls, right? Yeah. I mean, girls get missed. So much. Yeah. So your nine-year-old was four, mm-hmm. Shah, yeah. and your 11-year-old. Yeah. So and my, the ADHD was eight. Yes. So that Which was quite actually quite early for a girl, isn't mm-hmm. it? Well, we did um, a neuropsychologist did hours and hours of testing because that was based on um, IQ testing that the school had done some testing and the school had said, oh, this is the level of IQ we want to see if we want to investigate further. And I didn't want them to be labelled in a particular way. So then the psychologists and us were like, well, we can do all this testing and we can see what their cognitive capability is and their intellect is and we can see where the gaps are. And so that testing was really interesting. That brought the ADHD to the forefront. What was really helpful to go through that, the neuropsychology testing, which was like four hours of testing of this child, was that we could see, they said, this kid who is eight can problem solve like a 16-year-old, mm. that, that level is that high, but their executive function is b- below an eight-year-old, yep. below their current age. Yep. So for us, the most the best thing about that was there is a massive gap. Yeah, the information, the information. specific information, and then they can tell you what does executive functioning mean, when is it required, when is it going to present as a problem. Yeah, so yep. that's why that was useful yep. because I knew that there was – Yes, you had this brain, but there was all this other stuff going on that I wanted to know. Yeah. I wanted to understand why they were struggling with certain things rather than just label them and go, you're really smart. Yeah. Why can't you actually complete certain oh, tasks? Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I, that's for me where I find having received diagnoses now for or everyone in my family really to be really useful because I love specific detail and I love to know when to push the child or yourself 
because you know that there's a capability there and that it's just growth and development and when to actually give yourself a break and when to accept and love yourself and find other ways to do the things that you have to do. I think that's really important to, to mention because, you know, I've always wanted to just get behind my son's eyes and, you know, find out what's what makes him tick. And I've met a few families over the years who've got the suspicions about their child being autistic and has said, I don't want to push for a diagnosis because I don't want them to be labelled and mm. I don't want that to follow them around. And I mm. said, but well, this is my belief and obviously everyone has their own beliefs, but my belief is that is your child. That is your child. It's not a label, it's who they are. They are autistic. So mm. the sooner you kind of get your head around that and embrace it and learn about what is making their brain tick, the better it's going to be for your child. But what you could also do is accept the child, if you don't like the word autistic, yeah, because you have to kind of ask yourself, what is it specifically that I don't want? Yeah. What, do I what not are you want, triggered by, what are by you, that? Yes. Word. Is it what other people, and we, I mean, I think it's really important to talk about this because one, there's getting the diagnosis, getting the label, so to speak, and then it's how you feel about that. And then it's, do you want to tell others? Right. Yes. And that's yeah. sort of identifying as or not, or coming out, so to speak. But before that, you have to be able to really unpack for yourself if I have a problem or not about it. And and then this thing we talked about last week about uh, revealing something about our child without their consent. Yeah. There's all those layers mm. and it is very personal. And I wonder if someone doesn't want to have their child diagnosed or doesn't want to accept that their child's autistic, but can they accept that their child sees the world in a different way, mm. has different needs, requires certain support? If they don't like the word, leave it behind. What I found helpful about the word is that you can tell others mm. when you bring your child into different scenarios. To some degree, people understand what that means. Unfortunately, it's such a broad thing. You can't just go, my child's autistic. You good? You got it? Bye. You have to be able to say, and for them, it means blah, 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 blah. But you could equally come in and go, my child has severe anxiety. My child can't cope with change or needs warning, my child needs to have someone with them because so they feel safe. And you could say all of those things without saying they're autistic. In some instances, people will get it. In other pe- instances, people will be like, oh, helicopter parent, like we're good, we know how to look after kids. And actually in those instances when you can say, well, actually they're autistic, then they go, oh. Mm. And whether they understand or not, they do know that there's something that they don't know and therefore they're not going to bring their own knowledge of we know how to handle kids here. Yeah. Thanks for your advice, helicopter mum. So I yeah. think that's where the word or the, the, the medical term or the recognised term is helpful mm-hmm. in yeah. those instances. That label can help you so much in when you're in a school environment, in education, which we'll talk about in another episode, because you then say these are the accommodations my child needs. Yeah. They're autistic. Yeah. Like a friend was who's got an autistic child was telling me the other day, actually the autistic child told me the other day that they need to wear their hair up for school because they go to a private school yeah. and they don't. It's like someone is sticking pins in oh, their head yeah. having their hair up. Horrible. And so they wear their head down and some of the teachers um, tell them off for it. Oh, excuse me, you need to put mm. your hair up. Where's your ribbon? Where's your ribbon? And <laughs> so they wrote a letter there, there in year eight. They wrote a letter to the school. Hello. Hi. I'm autistic mm. and when I pull my hair up, it feels like this. Mm. So I need to wear my hair down. Mm. Could you please pass this on to everybody, you know, CC, the coordinator. Great. Um, mm. and, and that label, and fine. fine. Yeah. But that label was critical in that conversation. Yes. Because people then, like the teachers then had to kind of respect that and understand that. Yeah. And then she could explain it. Yeah. In that way because it's a sensory issue for her. Yeah. 
And I think the other one that comes up a lot, which, you know, I've talked to a lot of parents about is how do you tell your child? Yeah. And you told us last week, Shara, about oh, your yeah. amazing creative approach to delivering yeah. the news well, to your child. Well, it was interesting because we, we didn't tell him till he was seven, which is quite a long time to know something about your child and then be none the wiser. And what I absolutely hated was the fact that we were talking about something in whispered mm-hmm. terms. It was like, you know, we're talking about cancer or something. And it's not you know, it became this kind of weird, dirty secret when actually it was anything but. Mm. And it was, you know, we were hiding letters, we were hiding books, there were whole Netflix series we were hiding, you know, because we were trying to educate ourselves. And then we're like, why, you know, this is him. Why are we hiding this from him? But the school had told us to not tell him too soon. They said that often kids can use it as an excuse. And I said, oh, what do you mean? They're like, well... Oh, they might say they need a break. Oh, you know, I can't, (laughs) you know, sorry, it was my autism that made me do this. And I said, well... But shouldn't I don't know? I got maybe it, it was, was the so, autism that made them do yeah that. exactly maybe seven like give them a break exactly and maybe they were late for school because yeah. of their autism because they yeah. hate change and transitions yeah, exactly it was it was so, <laughs> so difficult weird it's so difficult to be because you you know at this point you're just taking advice right because you're mm. like yeah. I don't know I've never had yes, an autistic child and so this you know person seems to know what to do so they're telling yes. us not to tell him and yet we were like if we don't tell him we're going to explode <laughs> it's like this is crazy so. We went to see a psychologist and said, right, we need your help to tell him. And she gave us this really dry leaflet and we were like, are you kidding? (laughs) He's going to look at this and just cry and go, what? It's like saying, you know, here's here's a neurological condition that you have. Um, Goodbye. What? (laughs) He's a seven-year-old. He's not going to, you know, be handed a leaflet. And then Was it a leaflet for adults? I don't even know. No, it was for kids, even worse. It was for kids and it was just like... Oh, you know, this is how in England it's all very dry. Anyway, Sonny and I being advertising creatives, we were like, well, this isn't good enough. We can't, we've got to, we've got to sell this to him as a really good thing because we don't want, we need this to go well. This is going to be his first time he's going to hear about this. We can't just go, we've got something to tell you, here's a leaflet. So <laughs> he was really into Star Wars, I think, at the time and aeroplanes. And so we were like, we're going to create um, a PowerPoint presentation, but we're going to put in all stuff he loves because autistic people, we know, you know, they want, if something doesn't relate to them, they're not interested. Mm. So it's like if we were going to do a presentation about autism and not involve stuff that he was into, he wouldn't believe it was about him. He would be like, what are you talking about? So we, we built the whole presentation on stuff that he loved with photos and pictures of the family. So he's like, you know, we explained, you know, everyone's different. People have different hair colours, eye colours, freckles, you know, different heights, whatever. And just how everyone physically looks different. Everyone's brains are different and some people's brains are autistic and your brain is autistic. And this is what this means. And we put, you know, this is what you might find easier than some people, um, you know, doing, you're really caring with your family, you've got an amazing memory, you're really good at kind of memorising text and, and he's brilliant at kind of singing and putting on plays and he's got a huge imagination and we listed all the brilliant things and we said, and these are the things that you might find more challenging, you know, changing what you're doing or, you know, not being able to play with kids in the way that you want to play with them and having to control a, a, an environment. And we, we went through the whole presentation. I remember being incredibly nervous mm. because we were like, 
I was just really worried I was going to cry, which was weird because I think because it was such a big deal to me and I wanted it to go well, not because I felt sad for him at all. I wanted him to know, but I wanted it to go well so badly. I wanted him to finish that presentation and be like, You feel good. Cool. You know, not like, what? If you're crying as well, if your mum's crying, you're going to think, Yes, what the hell? I'm deficient. Like there's something wrong. Why are they sad? It must be bad. It must be bad. So, you know, I I wanted to make sure it was positive. He said two things that were really interesting as soon as we finished. He asked if his cousin was also autistic and he felt incredibly sad to hear that he wasn't Mm -hmm. because he was like, what do you mean? My favourite person in the world is not autistic like me. That means we're not the same. Mm -hmm. And that made him feel sad. And the other thing he said is, where did I catch this autism? Mm. And so I think, you know, from that moment on, we've always said he's autistic. He's, um, He's someone with autism. He's not got autism Mm. because for him it was actually important for him to not feel like it was something that was additional yes like how he came it's that's how how he's been born and it's part of him so much that it is him so I and once we changed that language and over the last few years we've changed that language to be he's autistic not he has autism yeah it's really helped I think him see that it's part of him and not an add-on not a something he picked up or that you could potentially get rid of as well get rid of with some drugs and And I think a lot of I mean in the community people have different views but I think that I am autistic is really powerful like Mm -hmm. I know my eldest says that um, rather than you have it Mm -hmm. because it's you it's your brain it's it's everything that you are and I think that's for those more sophisticated thinkers so I know with my daughter it's interchangeable and I don't know that she's really thought one way or the other about that and mm-hmm. so she doesn't really care. But I, it's like anything, it's what I say to people is find out what the individual chooses. Mm-hmm. It's there, it's everyone's individual choice to decide how they're referred to Absolutely. and no one else is going to tell you what the mm-hmm. right or wrong thing is. So if you don't know, ask them. What do you prefer to, how do you prefer, if you're in mm-hmm. that conversation. I think that's important, yeah. isn't it? Who are we to, I mean, at the moment I'm just doing what, you know, I have to do to kind of get by with his life. But as he gets older, he's going to be in charge of that. He's going to be owning his autism because it's him. It's him. It's like him choose how he wants to be labelled. Yeah. The thing about diagnosis is there's so much. Like there's no way we're going to cover all the things that we might like to say about it in one episode. Mm. But, you know, I think what we've sort of come to or start to really realise is that it's different for everyone. The process is different. The How we react to it, the extent to which we understand or expected it or not, and then how it plays out, right? Because I think mm. we could have a whole additional conversation about how it changes, mm. right, year on year. And and we've talked quite a bit I about think how. That's it. It's, yes. it's, I wish if there's one thing I wish I knew back then, which is it's going to be a marathon, not a sprint. Yeah. And the diagnosis is only the beginning. And I felt like I had to learn everything within weeks yes. of that diagnosis. I must cram. I must yeah. find out everything. <laughs> get all the experts' opinions and find out how best to help my child. And actually, your child will keep changing. Yes. You'll need new things, everything, nothing stays stagnant. And there mm. are no perfect answers. No you can do answer. all your reading. doesn't mean you're going to find it. No. And another thing I'd like to add as well, particularly if you have someone that was born female or is a girl, is that you might present to a psychologist or look seek out a diagnosis earlier in their life and not get one and because they are really skilled at masking and then it might eventuate. So if you feel as a parent that something's not quite right here and you've done your research or you've seen it with, an, with one of their siblings, most likely that is going to eventuate. But if you're getting the therapy and you've got the support around it, 
you know, it might be coming, but that's okay. Just continue with what you're doing. And yeah. slowly you'll start to see those behaviours emerge, particularly when later in that primary school years is yeah. what I think. Yeah. And also I think what you said earlier, Belle, about if you're getting the child, the therapy, the support, actually that's what you'd do anyway if you had a diagnosis. So, um, yes, it's helpful uh, when it's time if if that's what you choose to do because it gives you that extra information. You can seek out more, but you can actually do plenty for your kid in the absence of it mm. by just addressing the things that are a problem mm. or that they're struggling with. And if it's not a problem till it's a problem. You totally. always say that, Anna. Yeah. So for, for parents where you're thinking, do I need to go down this path or not, you will know. Yeah. Like if you trust that gut instinct, like this child is not coping very well in a number of different settings. Yeah, or like, they just can't get to school. They can't, can't do get the get things school. that you would reasonably expect of a child of that age. Yeah. And yep. that they're suffering for that. Yeah. And yep. that that diagnosis will, from my perspective, really help you and change things and start you on an important journey. Yeah. Yeah. Trusting yourself. I think that's been the biggest thing because it's so hard. We're like, you know, you read all these parent books and you're like, what? Everyone's telling me different things. And mm. why is my child not doing that? And I think having the confidence in yourself to trust your instincts and say, this isn't working or I don't think this is my poor parenting that is making this issue. Because I think a lot of the time I felt, oh, I'm just failing. I'm mm. just failing like my children. Mm. still feel like that mm. all the time. And it's re- that's really hard because when you're feeling like that, you feel so low, you feel like, God, you know, if I could just parent a bit better, maybe they wouldn't be mm. so stressed. Maybe mm-hmm. they would be able to go to school. Maybe they wouldn't be so anxious. But it's not. It's not about how you parent necessarily there is a neurological difference there Mm. and you need to learn about it and they're going to need an expert support system in place that goes beyond the parent Mm. beyond you but I think actually we all know I think when you get that niggle inside Mm. you need to trust it and I think that also applies to the people that are supporting you if you don't think that the therapist is managing your child in the right way find another one Mm. you know Mm. your gut is continues to be important as you work through the things that you're doing to respond to their needs. And that comes with time. Like I think at the start you don't really know and you having that support network and having a friend or anybody who can say to you, you know what, you're right, that doesn't sound right with that therapist or that doesn't sound right with that Mm. teacher or that school. Yep. And then you start to have the confidence, which we're all at, where you're like, okay, I'm going to make that change. Yeah, which is partly the other thing we want to do with this podcast is to build that community and get these allow people to come together and be able to connect and share. So we can talk about that another time, about what we're thinking about doing that because we've got plenty of ideas. All right, ladies, an absolute pleasure as always. Um, Can't wait for our next conversation. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.